Good morning, International Church of Prague. Thank you for joining with us today for a time of worship and some time in God's Word. We've been in the middle of a series entitled Pathways to Knowing God and Making Him Known. And today's pathway is the path of truth. Now, most of the time when we think about truth, we think of it in terms of facts, of details, of worldviews. But truth is something deeper. Truth, according to the Bible, is a person. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, according to John 14, 6. So truth is not an abstract principle. Rather, truth flows from the very character and nature of life's author, Jesus Christ. It is possible to know a great deal about the Bible and yet never truly know its author. And we are called to have an encounter with the person of truth, Jesus himself, and then to live out that truth, live out the truth of who he is and what he has done in a way that shows others his greatness and his goodness. To help us do that, to help you and I not just know about God's word, but to encounter the person of the word, we've created a little guide entitled Pathways, a scripture exploration guide. This little guide is designed to help take you through an overview of scripture. And so there are multiple passages that you can go through where you can read some each and every day. And over the course of several weeks, you will go through the major themes of scripture. This also includes some of the information that we've been sharing in this series about the attributes of God and the names of God and how we can grow in our understanding of who he is. It also has some very practical tips about how you can have an inductive approach to God's Word, where you can examine it and dig a little bit deeper to find out not just what's going on, but what God wants to communicate to you and to me through His Word. If you'd like a copy of that, it's available free. It's on our website. You can go to icprog.cz, look under Media, and there's a resource there entitled The Pathway Scripture Exploration Guide. It's also, for those of you who receive the newsletter, there's a link there where you can download this as a PDF, or you can email us at office at icprog.cz, and we'd be happy to send you a copy of the Scripture Exploration Guide. We hope you will find it a great tool for getting deeper into the Scripture. And if you've never really spent time on a regular basis in God's Word, this is a great time to start. And this tool will give you a plan that will help you immerse yourself in God's Word and get to know Jesus Christ more intimately. That's the purpose of the tool. It's designed to help bring to life each passage of Scripture and point you to the person of the Word, Jesus Christ. And we'd love for you to have it and use it on a regular basis. Today, as I mentioned, we're focusing in on the path of truth. And in order for us to really dive into that, we want to look at a passage of Scripture that we find in John chapter 14. So we're going to go to the Luma Project and find out a little bit more about what Jesus said when he said he is the way, the truth, and the life. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. 
you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father? And that the Father is in me? This passage of scripture here in John chapter 14 is filled with comfort. It's filled with assurance because it shows us the very heart of God for you and me. He says to his disciples and he says to us, let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus cares about you. He cares about the stress that this world brings upon our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our relationships. And when Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled, he's using a word picture. The idea behind it is this. It literally means don't let your heart shake. Medically, we know that stress can cause an arrhythmia to our hearts. And in the preceding chapter, in verse 21 of chapter 13, the same word is used to describe Jesus' own emotion as Judas left to betray him. Jesus understands what you and I go through when our hearts shake because he went through it as well. He went through that emotional trial and difficulty when the disciple who had walked alongside him for three years went off to betray him. And he knew that the end of that betrayal would result in his suffering. So Jesus truly understood what you and I go through. It's a strong word. And he was saying specifically to the disciples in light of the fact that Jesus knows that the cross is just hours away. He's saying to them and to us, it may look like your world is falling apart and that all is lost and that darkness is going to overwhelm you. But don't let your hearts be troubled because I'm still in control. I'm still working. I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And here's the remedy that he gave to us that keeps our hearts from being overwhelmed with the stress that we can face on a regular basis. He, he said, here's the thing I want you to do. Believe in God, believe also in me. The way to have an untroubled heart is to trust in and treasure Jesus above everything else. The focus of our life zeroes in on him. When we remember who he is and what he has done and the power that he has, it changes everything. It changes our perspective through the trials and difficulties that we walk through. Faith in Jesus and what he has done puts our heart and our minds to rest. When you and I are stressed, what we need to do first and foremost is not find a way out of the problem, but remember who God is. Remember how much he loves us. He's proven his love for us. And remember his promise that he would be with us even to the end of the age. 
That means that he walks beside you right now. And here's the really great thing. Oftentimes we're anxious about what's ahead because we can't see the future. But the great news is, is Jesus already does. He's outside of time. He is eternal. So he already knows what's ahead of you and I. And so he can perfectly comfort us and guide us because he is almighty God. So our focus today is on this verse, John 14, 6. It's a familiar verse, but it's one that we need to move from our heads to our hearts to our lives. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is telling us that he is the one way to God. This verse is one of the most important statements in all of the Bible. It's also one that can make those who do not know Christ personally uncomfortable. The way deals with direction. Maybe a good way to think about that is to, to get the idea of, of in your heart and your mind when he says he is the way, to, to think of a compass. Now, a compass points one direction. It points north. It tells us where north is. Wherever we are, it, it says north is the direction that the arrow on the compass is pointing. And from that understanding, once we discover where north is with the compass, then we can find every other direction. Then we know where southwest is or northeast is or, or west or south or any of the directions of the compass. We can find them because we know where north is. The same is true in our life. When we understand who Jesus truly is, then we're able to find the right path to follow him and get direction and wisdom and insight for every circumstance of our life. Jesus is the compass. He is the direction. But what is more, he is also the destination. Knowing him is eternal life. In fact, Jesus said eternal life is this, is knowing the Father. And the way that we know the Father is through Jesus Christ. That's what he tells us right here in John chapter 14. Now, that raises some questions because we, we need to see the difference between what the gospel says, which means good news, and what religion is. A question that people often ask, especially in this day and age, is aren't all religions the same? Now, you may be surprised that my answer is, first of all, no and yes. There are vast differences between the various religions. But religion in and of itself is a human attempt to get to God. Religion in all of its forms is humanity's effort trying to justify themselves to God or pretend that they themselves are God, to take God's place. The gospel, however, the good news of Jesus Christ that we see in the scripture is not a religion. It's not a thing where we do certain things and then God is pleased with us. It's something different. It is God coming to us in grace. The gospel is God coming to rescue us out of love for us because we cannot save ourselves. And so in that sense, it's the opposite of religion. Uh, let me give you some, some examples. For instance, religion says, if I measure up, if I work hard enough, if I perform well enough, maybe I'll be accepted. The gospel of Jesus says, you are accepted. That Jesus has already given his life for you. So now we choose to obey him out of love. 
it's radically different. Religion says, if I'm good enough, then maybe not only will God listen to me, but maybe God would love me. The gospel of Jesus says, you and I are bad, that we're sinners. And yet, knowing everything about us, God chose to send His Son for us anyway. That's love. That's sacrificial love. That's a God-sized love. Similarly, religion says that the focus is on me and what I do. How will I perform? But the gospel of Jesus says the focus of all of life is on God and what He has done through His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, religion produces pride and ultimately leads to despair. But the gospel of Jesus produces humility and it rests in the love of God and what Jesus has already done. In religion, I'm motivated by fear and oftentimes by pride. If I think I'm doing well, then I want others to be impressed with me because I think God's impressed with me. In the gospel, however, I'm motivated by love. The love that God has for me is then reflected back in the love that I have for Him and a love for others. You see, the difference is it's all about God. The gospel focuses in on the God who made us, who saved us, who loves us. And here's the thing. When we understand that life is about Him, it actually sets us free. It sets us free to enjoy who God is and all that He has given to us. It sets us free from sin. It sets us free from pride. It sets us free from jealousy, from comparing ourselves to others. It sets us free from a mindset of performance. It sets us free to, by the guiding of the Holy Spirit, to live our life for God. Now, sometimes when we hear this, when we hear Jesus say, I am the way, it sounds incredibly exclusive. And it is. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And that's not a very popular statement. But think about why we're uncomfortable or people are uncomfortable with these exclusive claims of Jesus. Often they will like his teaching, but when they hear this, it's too much for many people. The real issue is pride. Human nature wants to add something so that we can get the credit. That's why we're attracted to religion. And it may be a secular religion like humanism, where it's just purely about us, or it may be one of the other religions of the world. But what we need to understand is that according to the Bible, we're all sinners, and we needed God to come to us. There was no way for us to make it to God. We could never be good enough. We could never do enough acts. We could never give enough. We can never be pure enough in and of ourselves. And so God came to us. That was his plan all along. His love for you and for me, for those he created in his image, was to send his son. Here's the key that I think is so important. A.W. Tozer said this many years ago, and it, it is right on point. What you and I think about God is the most important thing in the world, and it's the most important thing about you. Because you see, that's where we determine where true north is, and it will guide the direction of every other aspect of our life. Maybe here's a, a good example to help bring this into focus. 
Think of the difference between a window and a mirror. When it comes to faith and how our faith functions in our life, it's designed to be a window through which we see the glory of God and learn to trust in Him and treasure Him above all else. But oftentimes, people make faith a mirror. When faith is a mirror, it becomes about us. And what we've just done is we've moved from the gospel message to religion. We've moved from everything focusing in on Jesus to focusing in on ourselves. But if we view faith as a window, then what we desire is to get a greater and greater view of who Jesus is. If, if you've got a, a window there in your flat, I want you to look at the window for just a moment and, and, and then go ahead and get up and, and walk closer to the window. Here's what happens. The closer you get to the window, the more you see out of the window. That's true spiritually as well. The closer we get to Jesus, the more we see of who he is and of the plans that he has, his purposes, his goodness, his holiness, the more we become in awe of him. And so our pursuit in life by learning to trust in him and treasuring him above all else is to see a more and more accurate picture of who he is. That's why we need God's word every single day. That's why we need to meditate on it. We need to memorize it because that is God speaking to us in such a way to make our view of him bigger and bigger. I hope you'll try that exercise. It's, it's simple, but it really can make a difference. Listen to how Peter put this in Acts chapter 4. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. He says this in reference to a healing that they had done. Here's what he goes on to say in verse 11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Salvation is found in no other person, in no other name than Jesus. He is the way. We need to keep the focus in on him. So Jesus is the way. And the next statement that he makes is Jesus tells us he is the truth. That means that truth is a person. It's not just a set of ideas. It's not a worldview. It's not a political platform. Truth is a person. It's popular today to believe in relative truth, which means what's true for you is nice, and it's true for you, but not necessarily for me. Also, many embrace a situational truth. In, in, in that it seems to change based upon the circumstances we're in. But in reality, both of those are selfish truths. We're seeking to conform reality to what we want. Truth is based upon the character of God. And when we exchange the truth of God, what has been made evident in his creation and in his word for a lie Everything in our worldview is distorted. Our understanding of ourselves, our understanding of others, the world around us will all be corrupted by a distorted view of truth. Augustine put it this way. He said, man's love of truth is such that when he loves something which is not the truth, he pretends to himself that what he loves is 
the truth. And because he hates to be proved wrong, he will not allow himself to be convinced that he is deceiving himself. So he hates the real truth for the sake of what he takes into his heart and puts in its place. In other words, human pride distorts the truth. That's where we have to be so careful because it's so easy for us to be deceived. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says it this way, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? But look at the next verse. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. We cannot trust in our own opinions because they're pointed and motivated by ourselves. They're not giving us a true north. They're not pointing us to the way of Jesus. So instead, we need to focus in on him. So what is truth? Oftentimes when we think of truth, we think of terms of right and wrong and, and what we can rely on to not change. And that's, that's a good place to begin. But I want to try to take you a little bit deeper. I believe there are three dimensions of truth from a biblical viewpoint. First of all, in the scriptures, we see precepts. These are the commands of God, the things that he has told us that are right and that are wrong. Then those precepts, when we dig a little deeper, we discover that they were built upon principles the reasons for the commands, the reason why this is right and that is wrong. Those principles are important for us to truly understand why the precepts are there, the commands are there. But even the principles point to something deeper. They point to a person, to the character of God and how he is reflected in those principles. So let's examine it here. Because behind each specific command or precept that we see in the scripture is a principle. And those principles help us to see the goal that God had in mind when he gave the command in the first place. And that's really an important place to begin. Especially if you're having difficulty with a particular command, if you're not sure why God restricts a certain behavior or or, uh, a life pattern, Think about why he may ask that of us. Look deeper. Ask him to give you understanding of what lies underneath it. Let me give you an example. Let's look at the, what we see in the scripture where he says, we shall not kill, we shall not commit murder. The principle behind that command or that precept is that life is sacred. But the person behind the principle is that humanity was created in the image of God. Life belongs to him. When a person murders someone else, we are defacing the image of God. We're not only killing that person, but it's an offense against what God has created, a person he has made in his image that he values immensely. And by defacing the image of God, by killing that person, we are seeking, the person who would commit that crime is seeking to take God's place as the giver and sustainer of life. Our lives are a gift from him. And all of our days are in his hands, not our own. Listen to what Jeremiah says in chapter 10, verse 23. I know, O Lord, that a man's life is not his own. It is not for man to direct his steps. We are to seek his will for our life, not to try to get God to bow to our commands, 
That's a false religion, and it's eternally dangerous. Our life ultimately belongs to God. The reason he tells us not to kill is a reminder that God is the one who's in control of life. He's the giver. He's the sustainer. And all of our lives belong to him. Now, understanding that, when we truly understand it, it's incredibly comforting. Because when we discover that our ultimate pursuit in life is to pursue God's will for us, we discover that that's the greatest place to be as well because we discover who he's made us to be and how we fit into his purpose and his plan. You see, when we begin to live exclusively for his glory, we discover that it ultimately will be for our good as well. We can trust his plan for us. We can trust whether we go through times of sickness, we can trust him in times of health. We can trust him in death, we can trust him in life and in every step that we take. The Apostle Paul in Philippians puts it this way. He says, I've learned to be content. He says, I know both how to be brought low and how to abound. But his focus was on Christ. It wasn't on his circumstances. He realized that his circumstances, as long as he kept his eyes focused on him, it really didn't matter. It really didn't matter where things were going well or things were going poorly if his eyes and his heart were focused in on the Lord because the Lord was his strength. That's, why, that's the context of where he says, in Christ I can do all things. You see, the promise is focused in on Jesus. And Paul teaches us how to be content, how to learn to worship and to live for God's glory no matter what we go through. And if that means God is gonna work in a way that produces miracles and wonders that bring glory to him, we praise him. If that means that God's going to work in a way that enables us to endure hardship or sickness or difficulty, if the end result is that he is glorified and others are pointed towards him, then our hearts can celebrate. And we need to keep in context. Remember, Jesus says, I've gone to prepare a place for you. And the scripture tells us that the difficulties, the trials of this world cannot be compared to the glories that will be revealed to us in Christ Jesus when he returns. That helps us put everything into perspective. And so you see, all that is built upon the fact that God values human life because it's made in his image. It points to the fact that God created and governs all of life and we should value it. Let's look at another one. A precept of God's command in Exodus 20, 14 says that we're not to commit adultery. There's a principle behind that. It's not just the preservation of marriage. It's not even just the doing right and doing wrong. The principle behind it is that God designed sexual intimacy to be shared within the context of marriage, and he did so to provide stability and security for the family and for the relationship and for it to be able to experience the fullness and protection he designed, but it points to something deeper. It points to a person, and this is so important. Marriage was designed to be a living picture, a living parable of Jesus' sacrificial love for us. God designed marriage and its intimacy point to the relationship that he has with his people. Therefore, Marriage is a picture of our relationship with him, and he calls us to be faithful as he is faithful 
to us. It's a picture ultimately of God's sacrificial love. How about one more? The precept, you shall not lie to one another, that we see in Leviticus 19.11. Well, the principle is honesty. The only way that you can truly have relationships and trust can be built is if there's honesty, if people are open with one another. And again, that points back to a person. Jesus is truth. When I lie, I go against the character of God. I fail to display who he really is, and I put myself on the throne that God alone deserves. The bottom line becomes, I want to obey God's commands, not because I want to do right, and because I want him to be pleased with me, or because I want to try to win favor with him. I want to obey God's commands because I desire to rightly reflect who he is. I want to know him more, and I want to make him known in such a way that others see an accurate picture of him. In essence, when we understand that Jesus is the the way, the truth, and the life, we want our lives to conform to the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Truth is a person, not just a moral code. God has revealed truth in his word in order to show us who he is and to show us how to live. And it will instruct every area of our life if we let it. He gives us guidelines and directives about how to live, but each one of those should ultimately point us to him. All truth, all moral absolutes rest upon his character. And so as you think about those commands that you see, the things that you see revealed in the scripture, dig a little deeper. Ask the Lord to show you the why behind what's commanded and then to show you the who, to show you how this reflects who he is. And you can do that in every area. You can do that not only with the commands, but you can do that with the promises that God gives us in his word. Because each and every one of them will tell us more and more about this infinite, amazing, holy God that we were created to have a relationship with. Listen to Francis Schaeffer as he he comments on this. Mankind, or humanity, as created in God's image, is to live by choice on the basis of who God is. The standards of morality are determined by what conforms to his character, while those things which do not conform to him are immoral. Therefore, the way is not a philosophy or a religion. The way is Jesus Christ and what he has done. The truth is not a system of facts, it's not a political ideology, but it is a person, Jesus Christ, and it focuses in on who he is and what he has done for us. The life, the life that we long for, is not a promise of something just to come. It is a person, a person that you can know right now intimately. And here's the greatest news in all of this. Sometimes we we wrestle with the law, uh, the commandments that we see in the scripture. But the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible that is uh, known as the law, was given to teach us and to lead us to a knowledge of Christ. John put it this way. He said, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And this is truth at its best. The great news is grace. God's plan all along was to show us 
how far and how much we fail due to the fact that we can't live up to his commands on our own. But his plan was always to come and rescue us. Every one of us fail to live up to God's standards. We fail to follow God's way. But Jesus did it for us. He gave himself for you and for me. He knows we sin. He knows we fail. And we could never, ever earn it. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. So quit striving. Quit trying to perform. And learn to trust in him and treasure him above everything else. Because here's the truth. The way sacrificed himself for you. He was the only one who could do so. He is the only one who was sinless and perfect. He was God who became flesh, who became human so that he could die in our place. The truth was crucified for you in the greatest miscarriage of justice in all the history of the world. A perfect, holy God was crucified for our sin, for your sin and for my sin. The life, Jesus Christ, died for you. But there is more. That wasn't the end of the story. The way rose from the grave, promising us the resurrection as well. The grave is not the end of our journey. It is just a station along the way. The truth conquered death. Jesus, the truth, defeated sin and death. The life Jesus now offers is everlasting. It is eternal. Jesus, the life, offers everyone who calls upon his name life everlasting and an intimate relationship, a union with God that lasts for all eternity. He is the way. He provided himself. The way is a person, not just a plan. The truth is a person, not just a law. The life is a person, not just a religion. So what are we to do? Well, perhaps today your heart is troubled. Maybe you've seen your sin laid bare. You've seen um, what God sees in you in the way that you fall short. What do we do? Will we do the exact thing that Jesus told us to do? We are to believe in him. We're to trust in him and treasure him above all else. We're to put our whole trust in him and turn control of our life over to him as Lord. When men and women were faced with the reality that the truth of life was crucified in their place, this is what happened. Acts 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent, which means turn around, and be baptized, which means that you identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come to live inside of us. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. That's the great news. That's the beautiful news. You see, the way, the truth, and the life gave himself for us so that we could come to God, so we could know how to live, so that we could follow him, and so that we could have life abundantly.
If you have questions about this, maybe there's some things that uh, I covered that were confusing, feel free to write to us. Send us an email at drew at icprog.cz. We'd love to find a way to come alongside of you. And I want to encourage you again as well to, to ask for a copy, a free copy of the Pathways Scripture Exploration Guide that will help guide you deeper into the Scripture. Because here's the thing. God wants you to have a relationship with Him. He wants you to know more and more about Him. He wants you to grow closer and closer to that window where your view of God becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's our prayer for you that you will discover on the path of truth that Jesus is walking right beside you and that he will lead you into life everlasting and joy abundantly. God bless you and have a great day.